Welcome to the For Fox Sake podcast, by the fans, for the fans. With all the news, views and discussion from two lifelong Leicester City supporters. It's your show, so get in contact, make yourselves heard, what's your opinion? The only Leicester City podcast that's by the fans, for the fans. This is For Fox's Sake. Hello and welcome to For Fox's Sake. My name is Pete Selby and uh, not alongside me, but I'm in For Fox's Sake HQ. And as you all know by now, Rob's normally in For Fox's Sake HQ too. But you're in now For Fox's Sake HQ 3. Or is it is it 2 that's now moved location? We, we should rebrand it The New 2. The New 2, yeah. I am in... My own house. I've bought a house in Sheffield and I'm in it for the first time. I slept in it for the first time last night. And uh, this is the first For Fox Sake podcast from the new For Fox Sake HQ2. Well, there you go. You are now uh, officially out of the county. So we are just going to wash our hands with you. You know, um, it's been great having you on. You are now no longer, um, obviously, on the podcast. You're no longer a fan because you've moved away from the county. Uh, it's a disgrace. Who are you choosing? Is it going to be United or Wednesday? The area that I've moved to is predominantly United. And at my new job, they are very keen to see the outcome of Sheffield United versus Leicester in a couple of weeks' time. And I'm desperately hoping that we beat them because going into work at a new workplace... And them having the upper hand on me straight away with Sheffield United winning or getting a draw against us would not be the one. So I think it depends on what happens on the 24th of August, if I'm perfectly honest. But I am always, I am and will always be a Leicester fan. I wanted to know, actually, Pete, how has the adverts gone for replacing me? Obviously not that well if you're still trying to tell me that I'm kicked out, yet we're still talking down the airwaves to each other. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and and then tomorrow you've got to go and upload this because we are recording this on the Tuesday night and it's not going to be uploaded until the, the Wednesday morning through the fact that you've got no internet as yet. So you're going to have to do a bit more work in trying to get this uploaded. So, yeah, you can remain for a bit. <laughs> you can remain until the, the episode is uploaded. But um, So, yeah, so you're in there now. I'm in the uh, normal HQ. And uh, because of said moving house, you were not at the King Power on Sunday. For the opening game of the season against Wolves, I was, and um, it was kind of like a false start in a weird way. It was fine because you've drawn nil nil, you've not lost, and Wolves are a decent side in the Premier League, more than decent side, and nothing went wrong, nothing particularly went right. But do you know what I mean? It it was a strange after the event. It was a strange kind of feeling of. Well, we'll start again next Sunday away at Chelsea, if you know what I mean. It, it, it was it was a proper kind of six, seven out of ten kind of game, really, because again, no one's really lost and no one's really won out of this, and that's what a draw is. But in terms of performance, again, there was a few plus points, one or two minor points, but neither strong enough to really kind of worry about going forward. I reckon. Yeah, I think this game was always going to be over-analysed and I think come a couple of months' time we'll forget about it um, because by all accounts it was a fairly forgettable game. I listened to it live um, through the Leicester Club website and I've watched uh, extensive highlights since, but it was always going to be 
overanalyzed because it's Brendan Rodgers' first game in charge after the preseason. It's a uh, couple of new signings here. It's uh, a new dawn yet again for Leicester and, and another chance for us to try and get somewhere near the top six. So whatever happened in the game, it was there were always going to be there was always going to be more of a spotlight on certain players, certain areas, certain ways of playing. Um, so ultimately, to come out of such a, um, a game that was full of so much expectation with a nil-nil draw against Wolves, who will be there or thereabouts in the same position as us in the Premier League this season, I think, come the end of the, um, come the, end of the season, nil-nil's a, a, a very good result and... You get that at any other time of the season and nobody bats an eyelid. Everybody says, oh, two very evenly matched teams who are going to finish close to each other in the Premier League. Nil-nil, fine. Um, and that's how I've, I've thought about, I've looked at all the different analysis and, and I've obviously got my own ideas and we'll get into a few more details in, in a few minutes. But I've tried to sort of take myself away from that as well and just take it for what it is, a point against a very good team. And um, as you say, a, a, a start, if if you want to call it a false one, but it is a start nonetheless. It's a point on the board. It's um, it's and, and the fact that we think that there's a lot more to come or know rather that there's a lot more to come is is got to be a positive. Yeah. The team selection we'll start with was interesting because of the inclusion of Wilfred Ndidi for me, because Ndidi through the African Cup of Nations uh, was one of the later arrivals back with the squad. And by all accounts, in terms of Tielemans playing alongside Ndidi, it was going to be Chowdhury to replace him and play alongside Tielemans and then have the attacking midfielders as Perez, Madison, uh, Vardy, and obviously one more person, probably. That was kind of the expected, maybe a Barnes or Grey or whoever. Um, so it's quite surprising that uh, Ndidi and Chowdhury then started it gave Tillemans uh, the ability to play further forward with Perez one side and Madison the other. And they did interchange with Vardy up top, which I'm not 100% against uh, having Chowdhury and Ndidi in the same side. A lot of people were saying it reeked somewhat of Mendy and Ndidi before with Claude Puel. And the overall kind of performance roughly was you know, a sim- similar thing. But um, f- for me, it wasn't because I don't think it was that axis that cause Leicester to not create and not have many shots on target, etc. I think there was, there was more to it than that. There was more slight issues going further forward with me. So them two played. Uh, Perez made his debut, Tillemans and uh, Madison, and then Vardy up top. And uh, Wolves were pretty much as and what you thought they would be. Three at the back with the two wing-backs going forward, although they really did sit back. So it was almost like a 5 and then you had the sitting two midfielders with Neves trying to go forward. and But he, again, he sat. And then there was a bit of a gap then to to, to Yotta and, and, and Jimenez. Kind of barnstorming big centre forward, we you know. And, you know, he's a, he's a real handful. He's obviously a good player. But uh, there, there, there was a gap. They really did sit deep, Wolves. And I'm not saying that they played for a nil-nil, but they would have taken a nil-nil very early on before the match. Uh, we haven't obviously got to the VAR and anything like that. But... That's how it started. And the first half pretty much went off without any incident. There was one or two flashes. There was a few touches around the edge of the area. There were plenty of blocked shots on goal. There was one chance when we got to the byline when Tillemans fizzed it quite quickly across and Vardy just missed it. And that would have been 1-0. And I think 1-0 would have, would have really sealed the game. 
And so you're going at half time, going, right, okay, well, that's kind of pre season still. And then we'll wait for the second half. And the second half is when the game did come into life. So I think we can pretty much gloss over the first half. Again, nice touches, a little bit nice interplay between, at times, Chilwell and Perez and. Pereira getting down the wing and Soyuncu looked slightly nervous, I thought, in the first half. A few misplaced easy passes to uh, Chowdhury, especially, who had to stretch on a number of occasions to keep them. I'm not saying he gave the ball away, but uh, they, they, they had a lot of the possession, Leicester. I think overall in the game it was 70%, and I think we had the most possession of any team in the Premier League this weekend and the most passes completed, uh, which we'll come on to. But I think we can just go straight through the first half, don't you think, Rob? Yeah, just a word on the... On the lineup and the formation, I'm I, I'm not sure that I like that kind of formation because in 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 many ways it was kind of like a four three three at times. Obviously, that it was quite fluid, um, but pretty much all the time it was narrow, and that for me represents part of the problem why it was difficult to fashion goal-scoring opportunities because you look at, um, like you said, the Vardy chance in the first half when it was Tielemans who was trying to go beyond, who was a little bit wider, had the opportunity. Yeah, it came from a sort of ricochet and and, uh, and what have you, but it was it was a ball into the box. I'm not saying get the ball out wide to someone like Michael Brighton and just toss it into the box because that doesn't work, but, but stretching... Wolves, particularly when they were playing with wing backs, trying to get in behind those wing backs for me would have been um, po- possibly. Obviously, we can't predict what would have happened, but possibly a more effective way forward. It just got very bogged down because at times it's indeed he's sitting Chowdhury and Tielemans either side, and then Madison and Perez se- sort of centrally either side of Vardy, and you're wanting all your width then to come from Chilwell and Pereira now. Ricardo is 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 equally good at right wing as he is at right back. So down that right hand side's not a problem for me. Chilwell didn't have his best game by a by a long stretch, and I still don't think he uses the ball anywhere near as well as he could and should. So if you're relying on your fullbacks then to create something from wide, or you're very congested in the middle, it's no wonder that it was touch, 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 and we racked up all those passes without really getting anywhere. Um, we've talked a lot about formation on this podcast historically over the years. And I think with the players that we've got now, 4-2-3-1, with two of those three playing in front of the midfield as actual dynamic wide men, for me, is is more effective and would allow us to penetrate a team more easily if they're going to do a Wolves and come and sit back or if they're going to be another team that gives that that sort of tries to give it a go, I just think that and that was proved that was proven when Harvey Barnes came on. He just played a little bit wider and he was a bit more direct and he had quite a lot of joy. Um, so yeah, I think the narrow four three three, and I'm basing it on one competitive game, obviously, but is not. I'm not a massive fan of at this moment in time. No, I mean that 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 was obviously the, the first half, and then in the second half, it it really came into life. The game did burst into life in terms of first of all they came out flying and and they they had the goal disallowed for VAR, uh, which we'll touch on now. From my position in the ground, 
we've got a TV in front of us, so we know exactly what's going on. We can see the replays up close. I'm not entirely sure. And this is one thing I, what I want... Um, I didn't ask the question on social media. So when you see the posts for on either Twitter or Facebook for this episode, do reply with the answer to this question. Is that from your position inside the ground, did you know, A, why the decision of uh, why VAR was being looked at, why they were checking and why it took so so long in the end? What were they looking for? And then also at the end, did you really understand fully that the ball was headed onto the arm by Dendonka, onto the arm of Bowley, then dropping to Dendonka's feet who scored? Did you know that that was the reason why the goal was disallowed. That's that's what I want you to reply to. So either Facebook or on FFS or at FFS Pod dots, uh, uh, at FFS Pod on Twitter. Uh, do reply to the post for this episode and just tell us: Did you understand what fully was going on during that VAR time? Because I've asked a couple of people and they knew obviously it was being looked at, but they didn't quite know why. I would like it to be announced over the loudspeaker in theory. Why not have the person looking at it going? I'm looking for handball. There's handball, handball by number three, no goal. And then that everyone can, just like they do, say, in cricket, just to make it a bit uh, clearer. Because we knew, and we knew that the, the goal was going to be disallowed. There was a very funny clip that I heard on the uh, the football forum on uh, BBC Radio Leicester, the, uh, the, the show they do on a Monday night when they played back the, the BBC West Midlands commentary of of what happened they obviously had no idea that the rule had been changed which meant that if the ball hits the hand of a player and either goes into the net or assists in any way shape or form a goal it is ham- it is handball it doesn't matter whether it's accidental or wherever if it hits someone's arm or hand it's handball and the goal will be disallowed that's the new rule and it was implemented very well, and it obviously saved Leicester, but it didn't save them because it was an unobvious handball in the end. Uh, but they didn't understand, and they were fuming, absolutely fuming. They obviously didn't know the, the new rules. But then after that, um, Leicester started to get into the game, but I, I completely agree with what you were saying regarding the, the lineup. but it really did show in the second half when Barnes came on. Uh, came on. For me, they really do have to play with at least one of either Barnes, Albrighton, or say Gray. Uh, I think Albrighton and Barnes would be ahead of Gray at the moment. Just one, or you can play two, but just one, just to have that one player who will stay on the touchline. They will stay out wide, and they will try and get down the wing. They will try and get to the byline, which Barnes did very late on, and it was a great uh, interception by Bowley, who I think was man of the match in the end, because I think it was his blocks in the second half, especially, he was exceptional, and I think he gets Wolves in the game. And but I think Leicester do need that wide option at all times, even if it's just the one player. Um, so I completely agree with that. I think we can play with those two because I think Chowdhury is such a more dynamic player than um, Mendy was or is. And I think when we play against a big six side coming to Leicester, that will be the formation that Leicester will play, and then we will hopefully have, say, a Barnes or an Albrighton out wide, especially against a big side, because then you will have that option out wide as well. You won't be able to play the little neat football all the time because, obviously, they're a, they're a very good team. So when that changed, um, Leicester changed, and they became a bit more hectic, a bit more 
quicker in their passing, something that they weren't in the first half. And nothing really, nothing really came off. There wasn't. There was, there was lots of block shots in the first half and second half as well. It took until very late on for the only shot on target from Barnes. I do agree with Chilwell. I thought second half uh, in particular he was poor. I think first half he, he was okay. I think everyone was okay. Um, and then second half is when Soyuncu really came into it. This is a player who I was talking about today. People saying, oh, why didn't Leicester buy anyone? Why didn't they replace... Uh, Maguire, which we'll come on to after the game, but we've we've got these players already, and they've got to be given a go. And Soyuncu played very well in the second half. Uh, he didn't have an awful lot to do first off, but the second half uh, he was really, really good. He had that one run back in the first half, didn't he, when he showed his pace? But second half, very good. He calmed down, and um, he's very quick, very strong. It's not necessarily the tallest player, and and, and also. When you, um, yes, he is decent in the air, but when you do look at a side like Wolves, who are quite tall, I'd say they're probably one of the tallest sides in the Premier League or in the in the top, say, third in terms of size. Leicester are a fairly small team. They have been for a couple of seasons now, but now the loss of Maguire at both ends of the field as well. When the corners came in from Madison, which were pretty much poor, all of them, but they had to be perfect because there was no big man in the centre, really. You've got Evans there, but there's no Maguire, who's one of the best centre-halves in terms of heading in both penalty areas in the Premier League. So that was that was noticeable as well. Um, and, and they tried. Tillemans, that, that two or three of their players on him all the time, but it was OK. Perez tried his flicks, and he was good first half. He got, turned his men a few times, and then he faded out in the second half and, and was rightly replaced. I thought Madison was poor overall. First half, he started well. I think he was probably Leicester's best player for the first 20, 25 minutes. And then in the second half, again, he, he did kind of fade. He didn't stamp his authority on the game, which he didn't do last season for, for my liking enough. And he, he not became a passenger, but the game almost passed him by. And, um, and his dead ball situations Leicester had an awful lot of corners uh, they had 12 corners overall Leicester and his it, it was very poor you have to it was very poor and yes he has to take pretty much the perfect corner to pick out a Leicester player now because they don't have the obvious Maguire but still overall uh, was poor so things to work on it was disappointing within test the goalkeeper um, but overall it wasn't bad enough to be worried. It wasn't good enough to be overly excited. I think we both agree on Barnes needing to start. We, I think we both had Barnes overall, Brighton or Gray. They need to be at, at least that one little bit of width. But um, they, they they could have scored in the last 10 minutes. I thought in the end they, they, were, they were possibly, if you do take your blue spectacles off, possibly worth maybe a 1-0. But... I think nil-nil probably overall maybe is, is the right result. You've covered a lot there, Pete. I'm yeah, just trying to so. I'm just trying to go back to a few of the key the key points from my perspective. Yeah, I didn't know the about the handball rule change until I heard it during the game uh, when it happened. So I, I don't think the goal being disallowed is is contentious. If people want to talk about why were the rules changed and is the wording of the rule right, then. Then that's. I don't think this is the place for it. I think the. I think what Nuno said was interesting after the game about VAR about it potentially um, changing 
the the sort of spirit of the game, if you like, because you're almost going to have, at some points this season, subdued goal celebrations from players and supporters um, in anticipation of the impending VAR reviews. You're going to have fans cheering um, overturned goals as, as Leicester were on the on the uh, lucky side, well, not lucky side, but sort of correct side if you're a Leicester fan of um, at the weekend. You're going to have fans cheering those results almost as loudly as they're going to be cheering goals because they're, they're final decisions, whereas the ball hitting the back of the net and no flag from a linesman um, for the next five, ten seconds used to be good enough, didn't it? It used to be you could go mental, then you scored a goal. Um and the fact that it took an awful lot of time, and of course, if you're having video reviews, you've got to watch it enough times to make sure that every that, that what's happened and what you're seeing from all the different angles is correct. I appreciate that. But the fact is, it took between two and three minutes, I think, of nothing happening. Um, football, whilst the, play, whilst the people that pay the money to go to the ground aren't necessarily um, major players in... In, in the football business these days in terms of the revenue that they generate, you've still got to make that match day experience for them first and foremost because they're the ones that are in the ground. They're the ones that are there every week supporting the club. And like you say, I'd be interesting to see what the answer is to... Well, I think we know what the answer is to the Twitter poll, Pete, is the fact that you're sitting in your chair at the King Power. Unless you're plugged into listening to some commentary on on radio or on the Leicester website or something, you've got no way of knowing unless you've actually read every single rule change. Now, I've read a lot of the rule changes over the summer um, in terms of the goalkeepers being able to pass the ball from a goal kick to a defender inside the box, you know, all those little the little changes that had happened. But I, I wasn't aware of, the, of that handball one. Um, and it's not the time or place to say whether I agree with it or not, but you're sitting there and all it says on the screen, if, if, if I think I'm right in saying, is VAR review. Um, and then it just comes up with VAR review, no goal. Is that is that pretty much it? And you've got no idea what's going on. They don't even need to... I, I appreciate your comment about announcing it or whatever. You literally just put VAR review, possible handball. And then look at it. And then at least the people in the ground can talk to each other. Oh, did you see a handball? I don't know. Did you see a handball? At least it, it, it means that there's still an element of the experience there for the people in the in the ground. Rather than sitting there slagging off VAR for three minutes. Then the referee rolling, chucking the ball back for a free kick in our, in our penalty area. Uh, and then realising at that point that there's no goal. It's... It just needs, and it will take time to fine tune. It's the first time it's been used in the Premier League this weekend, um, but I think those things have to be changed to make sure that, whilst in terms of um, making sure that the rules are followed, it, it, it is definitely a good tool. Of course, it is, um, and but 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 it doesn't. You can't let it affect the game negatively in terms of that three-minute gap, in terms of the supporters not knowing what's going on. And like Nuno said, it is making people second-guess what's happening on a football pitch. Yeah, I, I've said I've said all along, I'm not a fan. I, I quite... I, I really do dislike elements of VAR, and the main one being offside. I, for the life of me, can't understand why people go on saying, well, you're either offside or not. When two millimeters offside was 
Raheem Sterling when the line on his shoulder was put there by a computer click by someone and then the line of the shoulder of the opposition was put there by a computer click and somehow they determine it's two millimetres when it's very difficult to say where the first part of the top of the arm or shoulder starts. That's virtually impossible to tell. Now, people then turn around and say, well, what about over the line? But over the line is different because that's over the line or not. It's it's, it's black and white. There's, it's over the line or not. Even if it's by a millimetre, it's still over the line. For me, offside, and it looks like today there's been rumours that, well, not even rumours, but discussions regarding the offside rule and that in case whether there will be a part because I think it'll be very easy for the people in VAR to accidentally you know you, you've got someone's nose or you've got you know the fingertip of someone but when the ball's being kicked the kicking process is a few frames anyway so it's very difficult in those really close decisions to say actually it is two millimeters I still think I don't like that aspect of it. This aspect, fine. And they change the rules in certain certain parts, great. But I'm with you. It needs to be very easily displayed on screens at any stadium. The King Power have got one of the best set of screens in the country in terms of the size of the ground. I think most people can, can see them fairly easily. If you aren't, if you can't, then you need to listen to the audio discussion commentary with myself and yourself. And we'll tell you what's going on. But... It needs to be very easily displayed, instantly uh, checking for handball, like you said, or even announced over the loudspeaker what what is going on. And also, and this will happen, and players will get used to it, but as soon as that happened, Leicester then went on the attack. It was it was a, an impetus for the next two or three minutes. The crowd got up, and, and that's the part of the game that I would like, because then it's it gets back to the football, and the opposition started to question the ref and ask what was going on because they didn't quite know either. And they were asking ref, what, who handballed it? So what happened whilst Leicester are flying down the wing? So there will be teams caught out uh, over the probably the next two or three weeks when that happens. And uh, they'll have to learn from that. But uh, it's something they'll need to really... And I imagine this week especially, they'll be being told in training an awful lot, saying, look, this is what happens when the referee says no goal in whatever circumstance he gives the ball to the goalkeeper or whoever you need to then be a hundred percent switched on because there will be very quickly I'm going to predict in the next few weeks goal scored either through a, just a big long ball and everyone's arguing um, or for a little bit of play there'll be some goals scored straight after decisions made and it will cause even more of a, of chaos which in that sense I'm all for yeah, it'd be interesting. Teams are going to have to learn very quickly how to deal with it mentally uh, throughout the course of a game to stop it affecting the momentum of the game, but also like being switched on in the in the few pieces of play straight after it as well. I uh, just want to pick up on a couple of your other points about um, player performances individually. Madison is a player who last season had a patch of, I don't know, five, five, between five and ten games, probably depending on, on the way you look at his performances where he wasn't as effective as as he can be and the thing is with Madison he is the kind of player that it works so hard on being as as good as he possibly can be the best player that he can be um and he's not like many other playmakers in the sense that I'm not putting him in the same bracket as these sort of um 
formally or however you want to view them, world-class players. But, you know, someone like Meza Ozil, if he's having a bad game, you don't see him. You literally don't even know he's on the pitch. Whereas someone like James Madison, even if things he's trying things and they're not coming off, he doesn't then go hiding. It's rare that he won't show for the ball, even if he's had 60 minutes of, of not being able to make anything happen. He'll still try and be buzzing around, still be offering... Um, for passes into feet and still trying to generate something and as long as he tr- keeps trying that for the whole of the 90 minutes it won't be long before it starts to to click again and it's like when a striker goes on a bit of a goal drought five six seven games you start to think oh will they ever find the back of the net again they score one all of a sudden the floodgates open and they score loads again so I'm not personally worried about about James Madison wasn't his greatest performance that's fine um he will get back to the levels that he showed in his peak last season um Chilwell us are still I maintain that he's not good enough on the ball to to be the sole outlet out wide and we need somebody like Barnes um Chaglas Oyunchu surprised me in a very positive way because um I said in an interview for the Express and Star at preview in the game that I wasn't sure that the Leicester centre-back options were good enough to replace Harry Maguire. Now, obviously, we've seen Soyuncu on one game. And like you say, in the first half particularly, he didn't have an awful lot to do and he made a, misplaced a couple of passes, but bound to be nervous. But I think it's great management by Brendan Rodgers to put him straight in in the first game of the season. Because if you don't, and you put somebody in like a steady Eddie, like a Wes Morgan, who you know what you're going to get from him, it almost says to Soyuncu, I'm not sure you're ready. We'll put you in as and when we feel like it. Whereas this said to him, look, Maguire's gone. You've got the squad number four. You started in what was almost a dry run of the Wolves game against Atalanta the previous week. You go and partner Johnny Evans. You start the season as first choice centre-back and you go and show us what you can do. And I think for the most part, he did for large pockets of fans on social media, etc. And the people that I've spoken to... Um, have have said that he was probably the best player in the blue shirt across the course of the ninety minutes, and and he did a lot of things to to be worthy of that of that praise. It'd be interesting though to see consistency in his play. Let, I'd like to talk about him again after five, maybe ten games, and if he started all or many of them, what kind of level of performance he's been able to produce then? Because I think that will be a measure of what strength we've got as centre-back this season. So I'm not retracting my statement that I'm not sure that the Leicester centre-backs are good enough to replace Harry Maguire, but I am happy that that has been challenged by Soyuncu's performance this weekend. And I I will be watching him very keenly over the next five or ten games to see if he can make sure that he keeps that level. And let's be honest, Johnny Evans is the best person that he can be playing alongside. We've said all along... Someone like Morgan, someone like Maguire always play better when Johnny Evans is next to them. So I think that'll help Suyuncu as well. And just getting him settled, getting him to start a regular sequence of games. And I hope I can eat my words and say that we have actually got a centre-back in Suyuncu who is ready to replace Harry Maguire to the level that he was at last season. Yep, I hope so as well. It'll be interesting when Benkovic is fully up to speed and up and running in terms of his fitness, because who knows, Brendan Rodgers, who was with him at Celtic, could be thinking behind the scenes, look, this this guy is absolutely mint. 
he's going to be the player that we want to play there. You, you never know. That, that might be the case. But when I was referring to the players, £30 million worth of centre-halves in Soyuncu and Benkovic, yes, they're both young and, and, and coming through, but that's a lot of money to spend. If we were going to spend, and by all accounts, they spent, um, well, they made a bid of, what, £30 million for uh, Tarkovsky at, uh, at Burnley, and then they wanted more. They wanted 50, say, and... Um, from that's what Rob Tanner's written for the Athletic, and um, and and Leicester said no because you know we're not going to pay that sort of money for that player. But you you buy someone for eighteen million pounds, you know you got to give him a chance unless he goes out on loan and then he goes for you know five or six million in a year's time, and and he's proven in the games that he played last year that he's not a clown. He is a a decent centre off. He just needs to learn to calm down and be a bit more measured and um and it looks like he's done that in the one game and it's one game again the best performances were not extraordinary the worst performances were not extraordinarily bad either so we'll see how it goes on i thought tillemans and madison almost got in each other's way at some points especially in the second half because they were both playing further forward and and then when they took off uh, in, in midfield in defensive midfield for, um, to put Tillemans back to where maybe he should have started alongside and indeed he'll alongside a Chowdhury. Um, that gave a bit more room and then obviously they came with the width. Um, for me, I think Perez should be further forward. I think he should be alongside Vardy or just behind. I don't think he should be playing out wide because I don't think he's got the pace. And again, the wider positions we would like, I think both of us have said a Barnes more than someone like a Perez or or maybe ahead of other wingers. So I'd like to see um, Perez behind Vardy in that central position. So when there is an overlap, when Ricardo or Chilwell gets to the byline or when um, a move creates an opportunity for a player to be on the byline and then they cross the ball into the area, Vardy will always be there. But there'll also be Perez. Well, he will be in that position to pick up a loose ball or to get on the end of things because we've seen that he can do for Newcastle at Leicester last year with that header and then he can pick up the pieces that fall to you know a, a centre forward or, or a forward player out wide I'm not too sure that that he necessarily has the pace but also I'm not confident enough that the player who then will be playing central would be that player to get on the end of a cross or or get into the penalty area you're looking at Tillemans you're looking at a Madison, I don't think it's their game. So we'll see how it goes. Um, Sunday, we are playing Chelsea. And Chelsea lost. And they had a very young team. And they've got a lot of experience on the bench. I didn't quite see all the bits and bobs with what Mourinho said. To be honest, I couldn't care less. Um, but it looked like they've got a, a, a decent side that weren't playing. Kante's picked up a knock. They're playing in Istanbul on Wednesday. In the Super Cup, <laughs> that's the last thing that people want to do. Go go to Istanbul, great stadium, lovely area, uh, the Besiktas Stadium. But just as the season starts, you don't want to go all the way to Istanbul to play another Premier League side, and especially someone like Liverpool. So that will be an advantage for Leicester. But also, they will be nervous because there's a very good chance they'll lose that Super Cup final. Uh, they will then be playing at home. It'll all be about Frank, which is great. You know, fantastic. Take Leicester have got nothing to lose. And we can go there. And if you look at the starting lineup of Chelsea against United, 
and you look at the starting lineup for Leicester at home to Wolves, you look at that man to man, and you tell me that Chelsea are the overwhelming favourites to win that game. No, completely false. You you, you just talk if you if you just pick out a couple of personnel, Mason Mount was on loan at Derby last season with Frank Lampard. Tammy Abraham was scoring a handful of goals in the championship last season. It's and and he led the line for Chelsea at the at the weekend. Man for man, Leicester are more than a match. It'll be very, very interesting to see how Chelsea cope with the first game at Stamford Bridge. Because I'll, I'll give you the team, Rob. I'll give you the yeah, team. Yeah, go for it. Um Right, hang on. <laughs> right, Kepper's in goal. We know that. Here we go. It's come up now. So Kepper in goal. Okay, they've got Emerson left back, Kurt Zuma, who's been off on loan at places. Um, they've got Christians and they've got Aspilicueta. Um Kovacic and Jorginho in midfield with Barkley, Mount, Pedro, and Abrahams. Now there's a few players there. I think Barkley's got a lot of talent. Uh, whether he's ready just to play first team for Chelsea, we'll wait and see. But um, Mount's obviously a youngster, Abraham. Uh, a big fan of Pedro. and um, But the two City midfielders, yeah, decent players. But I'd fancy, all, especially someone like Chowdhury and Ndidi along, alongside each other to nullify that. And the defence is, is get-at-able, if you know what I mean. Um, they haven't got a Kante, who's got a bit of a knock on his knee. He's not going to play on Wednesday, whether that's to save him for Sunday. Hopefully, it's the knock on his knee is going to put him out of that game as well. But that team against the Leicester lineup, which we know from Sunday's game, it they, that doesn't match up. Well, it, they, sorry, they match up fairly evenly. Chelsea, yes, they are overwhelming favourites in terms of the bookies, but we should go there after winning there last, last year and I've been saying today, if we go there and win, that's not a surprise. No, I wouldn't say so. And I think it will actually help us because Chelsea will want to get the ball down and play it, particularly if they start with Jorginho and Kovacic in central midfield as well. They're both ball players. They're both get hold of the ball, keep things ticking over, maybe occasionally make something happen. So in terms of the the dynamic nature of our midfields, especially if Ndidi and Chowdhury start together, which you'd expect them probably to if, if we're going away to um, a team in the top six, you'd expect that to be the starting lineup in the centre of midfield. They should be able to nullify that pretty easily and, and and sort of bully them, really. It sounds silly because Kovacic and Jorginho have both played at the highest level of European football, but some the sort of the physicality of Ndidi and Chowdhury should be able to overpower them. Um, and then if Leicester play as narrow as they did at the weekend and play as central as they did at the weekend should be able to absolutely overpower that central midfield because there's no Kante in there to break anything up. If uh, This is obviously presuming that he doesn't start, but they need him there to be able to stop teams from playing right through them. And then, like you say, the defence is, is get-attable. It is because Kurt Zuma has never been really considered good enough to play... Um, uh, uh, to start for Chelsea, he's been farmed off on loan to all sorts of places. Stoke City, I think, amongst others. Um, they're waiting for Rudiger to come back. I think Rudiger and Christensen is probably their best central defensive partnership, but Rudiger won't be back in time for the Leicester game next weekend. 
Um, they've they've got a problem at left back in that Emerson's not really done anything to say yes, I'm an established Premier League left back, and Marcos Alonso's sort of been found out a bit as a left back rather than a left wing back that he played on the opposite side to Victor Moses in that successful Chelsea team from a couple of years ago. So Azpilicueta's experience, Kepa's an exceptional goalkeeper, but apart from those two, you know, Pedro's won a lot of trophies, but Pedro's been a very good player in some excellent teams. He's not necessarily the best player in those teams. He just fits in because he's of a very good level. He's very quick. He's very skillful. He scores some outrageous goals, but he's not the kind of player to grab the game by the scruff of its neck. So Leicester have got to go there and and put the frighteners on them, really. Chelsea want to get the ball down and play it. And I think part of the reason why we um, not struggled against Wolves, but 70-30 in our favour in possession, I don't think is going to be our favourite way of playing. So away from home against someone like Chelsea, Brendan Rodgers is famous for getting his players to hunt in packs high up the pitch. Chelsea are going to want the ball. They're not going to shy away from wanting possession at Stamford Bridge. First home game of the season. Some rights to put um some wrongs to put right rather from from the weekend before. Um they're going to want to get the, their foot on the ball. And that should mean that Leicester should be able to press them and bully them, win the ball back in good areas and spring quick attacks rather than having to try and play through at sometimes what was almost pedestrian-like pace against Wolves in certain um, pockets of the game at the, the weekend just gone. So I think Chelsea will attempt to play a style of play that will really lend itself well to, to us going, getting in their faces and getting a result. Yeah, just get stuck in there, get the first goal, get that crowd nervous. I can't see any reason why we can't go there and get a points, get a three points, get a result, play well. And also control parts of the game. I completely agree with the Kovacic and, and Jorginho. I think they're both good players. But again, they like to move the ball by 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 their vision and by their passing. And I, I don't think they're going to certainly out-muscle our two centre midfielders if we play Chowdhury and Ndidi. And I don't think they'll be able to move but past them with the ball. I think they'll have to get the ball forward to the players that you mentioned. And uh, yeah, go. For, I mean, the centre-halves, Tammy Abraham's up front... He could turn into a very good player. He scored a lot of goals in the championship and he unlucky at Old Trafford with that shot that hit the post. But your centre-halves are going to be looking at him going, well, where's Eden Hazard? Um, I'd, I'd rather play against Abrahams than Olivier Giroud probably. And there's there's a lot of players over the years at Chelsea, only even over the last couple of years, that, that they would have been more worried about. So I can't see any reason why we can't go there with the intent of really getting a result. And... Uh, Again, I think all the attention on Lampard will just be a good thing. And uh, people shouldn't get knocked about it. You know, oh, Sky are only covering it. They're not mentioning Leicester. No, they won't. They will not. It could have been anyone. It could be Southampton. It could have been Wolves, for example, or Everton, similar positions to Leicester in, in where they might end up in the league. It doesn't matter. It, it, whoever they'll be playing, it would all be about Lampard. That's the reason it's on TV. But there we go. I'm not entirely sure what colour hats everyone's going to be wearing. Have you heard about this? Yeah. and So the, the message was put out from the club that they're going to be giving free hats to, to the supporters who are going down to Chelsea. Now, the hats are not pink. They're not blue. They're not black. There hasn't been a colour dis- 
that's been given out. But everyone's gone, put two and two together and gone, well, they're going to be wearing the pink kit, so they're going to be pink hats. And then kicked up a fuss over not wanting pink hats and not want, you know, why I don't want a pink hat. And then people have said, well, if you don't want yours, then can I have it? And you shouldn't look the gift horse in the mouth and, you know, the club giving you free... Wait and see. Wait and see. They've they've got themselves into a tiz over something that probably won't happen. It might be a nice brand new black and blue Leicester cap with the with the badge on the front, and then when they get to the ground, they go, "Oh, look at that!" It might be a sea of pink caps. Just take it and don't wear it. I ain't being funny. If I was in the away end away end on Sunday at Stamford Bridge and I had a pink cap on my seat, fantastic. I put it in my bag or I put it in my jacket pocket. I wouldn't wear it. But there you go. I won't kick off about it. I'll keep it getting the knees. Job done. Um, people just like to complain about everything, don't they? But uh, we'll have to wait and see on that front. Yeah, you can't start kicking off about free stuff that you're going to get when you don't even know what the free stuff is. Yeah. It's, it, 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 I think that's really summed that up, really. Um, a, a few more bits and bobs to tidy up before we, uh, before we go. Um, it was nice to see Top on the... Field of play, giving uh, boosting or topping up, as the Birch said, is uh, is run. So sixty grand going into the uh, Devishai Foundation fund uh, for his annual run. Uh, he said a couple of words. He said, "Thank you, Blue Army. Um, thank you so much." He's a shy guy, doesn't like saying anything on the mic. Not a problem. Uh, and and also just just regarding the, you know, the King Power, some they've got some new floodlights in that weren't there for the for the Atalanta game and uh, and the build up. There was a few new people in in the press box where we are doing the commentary. A few newbies who uh, answered the call. We put out on Twitter and on Facebook about if you you know if you want to be a commentator and join us and and go on the courses etc. And if you're good enough, you can you can do it. And the and the people who were were there and um, along with a couple of other people. From AMS, who were who were there for the first time, and uh, and Brad in particular, I don't think he he listens. We should get him to listen, but uh, he he had never been to the King Power before for for a Leicester game and that, and he was just amazed by it. He does he does a lot of the forest commentary and stuff, and he just goes, "It's amazing the build up the the uh, they've still got obviously the, the the montage beforehand of old all the old players and the and the highlights of the club and all the classic goals etc." And which is fantastic. I love that. I, I think that's absolutely brilliant. And he he just witnessed what happens in the hour before kickoff and just went, "This is absolutely excellent. This is this is fantastic." I said, "Yeah, it is. It, it is a it, it is really good what they do at the King Power now. It's it's a, it's a fantastic arena and it's a fantastic build up. And it's it's something that we can we can change and we can adapt because the club are asking." the public and asking season ticket holders what they think about the match day experience at the King Power with a forward thinking to the redevelopment of the King Power or the additional seats or the redevelopment probably of the East Stand and the area behind it and what they'd like and answering questions so make sure you do get involved if you do have the opportunity say what say what you think and and uh, and give them their viewpoint the one the one message that I saw over the summer or last few weeks was regarding contactless technology at the King Power they're going to go cashless or they're cashless now so if you are buying pints and pies etc then you just you know tap your card because it's the aim to speed up queues and being at the cricket over the summer a few times yes massive long bars that are well staffed go down very very quickly when you just tap it on the thing and that's it there's no questions asked with your phone with your watch with your card whatever 
The problem is, and this is coming from a person who worked at the King Power in a number of different ways, shapes and forms over the years, um, the staff are absolutely dreadful. They are <laughs> Why dreadful. don't you tell us how you really feel? They are, they are. And do I blame the staff? No, because I, when I've, and this is, this has not changed in the, in since the King Power has been built, I started working there probably about a year after it was built, two years after it was built around that. Um, I was at university down the road and you go, when you get a job, you go to the agency at the university or wherever and they go, right, there's this work at the King Power. You turn up, they give you a uniform and then you're basically thrust into the job. There's no training. No one can be bothered. There's one or two people who are basically doing all the work. And you end up just having the a few people who have got half a brain. I mean, we, we I was pulling the beer, I remember, for the first game. And it was it was like it is now. It's chaos. Can I have six pints, please? Yeah. And you start pouring six pints. Get them poured already. Pour that tap on and don't let it go until... Half time has finished. Start about five or ten minutes, ten minutes probably before half time. So you've got loads of booze, and then just pass them over. It's fine. Get them with the food. Get it's the staff. They need more staff, better train. That was my my big thing. I think a lot of people will uh, will agree with me on that. But uh, yeah, tell them what you think. <laughs> oh, I feel better now. You have to have your rant, don't you? You've not had a proper one for a while, but that that came from, that really came from the heart. I really felt that one, Pete. Can we talk about some good news to finish off? I know you mentioned Top there, but he is now officially the chairman of Leicester City Football Club, which is obviously um, great news in many ways. It's, it, it, I think he, he said himself that it's a situation that he never wanted to be in, but Leicester City, unfortunately, due to those tragic circumstances, needed a new chairman. Um, so he's going to come in and do his best to sort of carry on the, I don't know, I don't know about legacy, but just carry on the sort of the the project and the journey with Leicester City. Really, the if anything, the the bond between Top and the fans has has become even stronger now than it was before, and we were singing the owners' praises for years and years and years. This this incident hasn't made us all of a sudden out of sympathy or whatever, feel um, feel um, grateful to the owners and, and really positive towards them. We already did, and this has further strengthened it, I think. So it's it's it was news that we were all expecting. Uh, I think it had pretty much been running like that anyway, but the official confirmation's come out, and it's um, bittersweet, if you like, because, as Top said, he wouldn't have wanted... He didn't wouldn't want to take over as chairman... But the situation has arisen where we don't have a chairman, um, and he's the man to to step in and, and fulfil the role um, and to continue the the dreams and the ambitions of his father, but also of the of the Leicester City fans as well. Yeah, um, I I would call it a legacy. Winning the league would obviously be his legacy, but I think the whole club as they are at the moment is and. And legacy of also the the style of chairman that he was being ruthless in terms of not being taken for a ride as a chairman by transfer fees and getting the big fees for players and and tops proved that with the Maguire signing being decisive with signing players and he's been decisive in that front as well with the purchase especially of Perez which came out of the blue and especially the um, the purchase as it was of. 
the manager, Brendan Rodgers, by paying the money, paying, what, £8 million or whatever it was to Celtic to get him out of the contract and to get him at the King Power. Um, he looks like he knows what he wants, and if he wants it, he goes and gets it, and he's got the power to do so. And I think uh, he's he's carried on, at the moment, extremely well in, 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 in Vichai's you know, name and style, basically. So, yeah, well, yeah, good luck to him. And, um, and again, on-the-field success happens because it's a sport and, and anything can happen. But off the field, the club's extremely well run and, and now has uh, confirmed that Top is the chairman. And that was one of the best pieces of news on it was transfer deadline day, wasn't it, when, uh, when that was announced? Uh, it's not the last thing that we have to sort out. Go on then. That sounds ominous. Fantasy football. <laughs> oh no, I knew you were going to talk about that. So if, if you haven't played, what we'll do is at the end of every podcast, we'll mention the fantasy footballs just so uh, if you haven't played and you're not bothered about it, you can then switch off knowing that there's going to be nothing else discussed apart from the fantasy football. So we'll spend hey, loads of people about... have signed up to the league though. So if you are playing in the fantasy football <laughs> league, then stay tuned till the very end of the podcast and you can That's mock point, my yeah. exceptionally average performances week in, week out. Don't fast forward until you just get to the fancy football. You've got to hear all the rants about wingers, rants about uh, pink caps, and, and also rants about next week. It won't be about how long it takes for a pint. It will be how uh, they, the Yorkies used to be really cold, which was great. And now they're a, they're a bit too soft. I didn't, I didn't like that. I don't know what it was. I think they were too near the... Anyway, that's for next week. Um, right. Top of the league. I'll go through the top 10. Now... If you haven't got the app, make sure you download the app and it's a lot easier to see. Um, Silver Dale Fox, which is uh, Jim Chapman, he is on 95 points. He tops the league. There's about 70-odd people in here. Uh, Concept FC, uh, 94 points. Uh, Snobber Rod Grass United, like it. Uh, Phil Berridge, 92 points. Saigon Foxes, Gav Brown on 91 in fourth. In fifth, I'll just do the top 10. Uh, Vini Vidi Vardy. For Ben Melbourne, 87 points. Fox Blues, Damien Garcia in 6th on 86. 85 for Martin Summers uh, with the bod, uh, the bad guys. Modern Leapers as well. Scott Kersey, I know him from work, 85. Um, and he got Leicester City, Luke Taylor. Uh, he got Vardy Annuals, Joe Healy on, both on 82. And also whole Yotta Love from uh, Graham Large, who's a big Wolves fan, uh, made some mine from uni. Uh, love Sunday football. He's in the top. Uh, he rounds off the top ten. So eighty-two points is in the top ten. I am on seventy-two points with my team, Super Frank Sinclair. And uh, let's just find Rob. Scroll all the way to the bottom, Pete. I am sixtieth. Sixtieth out of sixty-nine. Absolute nightmare. Had a shocker of a week. Oh, there we are. Yeah. It was a strange week because you had goals for Salah, you had the hat-trick for Sterling, you had a goal for Aubameyang, you had the two for Kane. It was kind of like the big boys scored the goals and if you went kind of offbeat, it didn't quite work out. But there we go. Also, on the league itself, I think it takes a couple of weeks to, to properly form because there's still people at the bottom who are not fully in there. I think you will be in there. There's no problem. Uh, don't be worried about that. I think it just takes a week or two for it to be up and running. So there we go. So top of the table, Silverdale Fox. Jim Chapman, 95 points. Well done, Jim. He's top of the league. But maybe not for long. We'll wait and see till next week. Hopefully I can rise from lurking 24th joint place. But there we go. Uh, 
yeah, so there's the, there's the football. Thanks for everyone for entering that. Uh, again, we'll just have a bit of a giggle with that every week and see what's what, and uh, go from there. And we'll we'll try and get some prizes sorted. Uh, like I said, at the end of the season, some way, shape, or form, we'll we'll figure that out uh, when we cross it. But uh, there we go. Any more, Rob? Uh, yeah, I'm quitting fantasy football. I'm never playing it again. Oh God, it's only a week old. You you can't say that. Predictions then. I'm going for. Can I go first? Can I um, go first this do week? You know what? So it doesn't sound like I'm copying you. Go on him. I'm going to say 1-1. One, 1-1. One. One, one. I am going to say Leicester will win. And they're going to win by three goals to one. Ambitious, I like it. No, it's not ambitious. It's positive. And fingers crossed, it's accurate. <laughs>